So before I introduce Bina, there's something about Adelaide. Is anyone here from Adelaide? No? Ravi? Ravi's mum is from Adelaide and so is Bina's mum. So there's, there's something about uh, mixed race, uh, part Indian, part uh, white people from Adelaide. So that, that, that's the first two stories for you tonight. I, I've really curated in a very tight <laughs> fashion. Um, so I would like to invite Bina up on stage while I uh, quickly introduce Bina to you using my Google Drive saved documents. Okay, I'm a Sri Lankan Tamil, so I'm not so good at spelling, pronouncing Bengali names. <laughs> Bhattacharya. Oh, there you go. Um, Bina Bhattacharya uh, is an award-winning writer-director living in Campbelltown. Any Westies out here tonight? Um, uh, she, her father is a Bengali Indian professor. Any Bengalis here tonight? Um, <laughs> silent types. <laughs> um, her Bengali Indian per, uh, father is a professor of political economy and her mother is a white Australian historian born in Adelaide. Uh, oh, sorry, my phone keeps doing weird things. Anyway, I'm, I'm not going to introduce all the things that you do. Bina is an amazing filmmaker. She's uh, a mother, a friend, a great person, and she's going to tell one of her stories tonight about being mixed race. Please welcome Bina. Thanks, Gary, for that wonderful introduction. So, yes, we'll be hearing a little bit about Adelaide. And, uh, yes, it's not mentioned in this. My mother's name is Ellen Mary McEwen. So Ellen means light. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Thanks, Ravi. <laughs> Yes, uh, that's my son. He might interrupt me. Don't be alarmed. <clears throat> mi padre is indiano and mi madre is australiana. When I travelled to South America with my then boyfriend, now husband, at the age of 22 to be reunited with him after a torturous year of, studying, of him studying abroad, I didn't speak any Spanish. Along with voy al baño, where is your toilet, and mucho gusto, nice to meet you, it comes as no surprise that the phrase I mastered early on was the answer to the question I get the most in life no matter where I go. What's your nationality? The Australian Bergen version. <laughs> What's your background? The slightly more middle class version. <laughs> <laughs> mi padre is indiano e mi madre is australiana. Or, my father is Indian and my mother is Australian, was the description for myself I settled on early in life. I can't stay, nod to Ravi, I'm part Indian or half Indian, as my neighbour Lou, who I grew up with, who herself had navigated the murky waters of interracial relationships as an Aboriginal woman, always mused, which half? <laughs> Lou and her family taught me that Aboriginal people abhor the term half-caste. The suggestion that you can be a fraction, identity is not divisible. My father is Indian and my mother is Australian is, simple, is a simple statement of fact, an elegant answer to what everyone's burning question seems to be. In South America, the idea of being mixed has a proper term, mestizo, uh, also used in my husband's Filipino family where the Spanish language has a colonial legacy. 
My husband, he's in the back row dealing with my son. Sorry, baby, I really wanted to nod to you at this point. <laughs> Once said very romantically that the odds of us ending up together could only be fate. Our fathers, an Indian in Australia, a Scotsman holidaying in the Philippines. These were each of our respective beginnings. My father was born in 1939 in Calcutta, eight years before Indian independence, in his family's ancestral home at 41 Deb Lane and Tally, to a woman with whom I share my name, Bina Bhattacharya. It was the house where his great-grandfather, Haridas Shidanta Bagish, had, trusted, had translated the epic poem, the Mahabharata, from Sanskrit to Bengali, and where auspicious Bengali Brahmin scholars wrote poetry and books, which, while, of course, the women cooked elaborate meals. I find it hard to imagine what my father's childhood years were like. There are no photos of him before the age of about 24, but there are three things I'm certain of. One, my father shared a room with his grandfather until he was 15. Two, my father lived through poverty I will never understand. And three, my father's mother, though loving, was almost always preoccupied with her 11 other children. My father was an exceptional student, always a philanthropist at heart. He considered becoming a medical doctor until he realised he could not stand the sight of blood. And his father suggested that if he wanted to help people, he should consider studying economics. After being involved in the Marxist government of West Bengal as a student, my father obtained a PhD from the University of Manchester in the 60s. And despite his fiercely anti-colonial politics, he could never quite shake his love of Manchester, England, England, which he saw as a socialist paradise. My father received an academic posting at the University of Sydney and came to Australia in 1968 as one of the very first Indians after the end of the White Australia policy. His immigrant story is different to most. He had a qualification from the UK, which was recognised in Australia, uh, and he had a prestigious job from the get-go. His immigration did not coincide with a loss of status. He met my mother, who was also teaching at the university, and her discipline was history, through a mutual friend. I believe that they cemented their interest in each other when they saw each other at a conference held by a labour historian. A socialist match made in heaven. My mother was born in 1947 in Adelaide. Uh, and she'd grown up in a very conservative Catholic family, firmly raised with the idea of reds under the bed. Um, but she had a very difficult childhood. Her father died traumatically when she was five and her mother remarried a severely traumatised widower who'd been a prisoner of war on the Burma-Siam railway. And he had two children of his own. And this made her sceptical of authority. When she moved away to do a PhD on the coal mining towns in Newcastle, 1840 to 1860, she slowly became radicalised. <laughs> My parents like to believe that the fact that they were married, uh, that they married interracially made them special, colourblind, woke. <laughs> My, My father, he told this story. He woke from a nightmare and it was in the 70s and he said, oh, I dreamed we were living in South Africa. We were not allowed to be together. <laughs> How sad. And so their marriage wasn't just a romantic eventuality or a personal choice. It was a political statement. Like many good lefties in Sydney, they lived in Annandale. <laughs> but like many middle-class people of colour, they realised that my older sister and I were likely to be the only brown kids at whichever school we went to. 
And so my parents did the equivalent of what black parents in San Francisco do when they decide to move to Oakland. They moved further out and I went to school in Croydon, North Strathfield and then Strathfield Girls High. My high school was about 90% non-English speaking background with at least 80 Indian, Sri Lankan or Bengali girls in my year alone. Although I could join in with all the other Desi girls with jokes about Gulab Jamun, crazy Indian aunties and parental pressure to get 20 out of 20 on every assignment, it was obvious that my experience of being Indian was completely different to most of the girls in my year as I had a white mother who played good cop to my bad cop Indian father. I was allowed to have boyfriends and girlfriends and go out on weekends. My parents encouraged me to watch films on SBS and at the Valhalla in Glebe. At the age of 13, I had edgy cosmopolitan tastes. I went to my first Nick Cave concert at 14. But of course, I didn't have friends at school I could share these interests with, so I sought out friends from other schools, mostly white kids into drama with lefty parents, not dissimilar to what my parents tried to leave behind in Annandale. <laughs> and of course, I wanted to be a cool, sensual, worldly young woman, which meant seeking out lots of underage sex, smoking weed and drinking goon at unsupervised parties. <laughs> Being sexually active and open at a school full of conservative, obedient South Asians does not go down well. They were scandalized. Among the cruel rumors that went around about me uh, were that I was pregnant and that I had crabs. Slut shaming runs deep. But of course, the cool white kids that I sought refuge with would eventually reject me too. So my tastes were very eclectic, as you might expect. So as well as owning all of Nick Cave's back catalogue, which I bought at secondhand CD stores, I grew up watching Disco Dancer and Dance Dance obsessively, despite not speaking a word of Hindi. Anybody, anybody here watch Disco Dancer and Dance Dance? Anybody know what I'm about to? Good. I watched the ones with good Bengalis like Mitun Chakraborty and Bapi Lahiri. Forget his politics. And there's one song in particular. <laughs> This is so good. It's this like beautiful David Lynch, this mortal coil, she has this beautiful voice.
the most joyful, amazing piece of music. The original UB40 is miserable. It's like three minutes. It's like reggae, white reggae band. Hello. And then you have this version, the ripoff, but it's far better. It's seven minutes. It goes through all these movements and it's absolutely spectacular. So I was so excited. When I was about 15, I invited some cool white kids over. Um, these were boys um, from neighboring schools and I wanted to show them some Bollywood. I was really excited. And I played that to them and they laughed and they pointed out how ridiculous it was. And I was quietly devastated. It had actually never occurred to me that Bollywood films were funny. And I realized that fitting in with Australians meant never being too extra, never being too loud, never being too over the top, never being too earnest. The second reason I never fit in with white kids is more difficult to talk about. So quite simply, my father, like most Indian men, wanted a wife with a PhD, which he had, who would also cook, clean and wait on him. So my mother slaved away in the kitchen, grinding her own spices and making her own curry paste from scratch like a good Indian wife should. He was extremely jealous when she was attentive to my sister and I, and he was abusive. He constantly told my mother she was hopeless. You are hopeless. I remember it very clearly. And he liked to remind us all that it was his house, he paid the bills, and he would use money to control us or withhold it as a form of punishment. The word from the Australian vernacular he singularly embraced the most was bludger. You are a bludger. It was the one he wielded with all of us when we didn't obey him. I have memories of him going through the house, turning off all the lights he deemed we weren't using, snarling, electricity has been free for you your whole life. He was physically violent. And that, my friends, does not make you feel like you can bring over your nice white friends with cool, easygoing lefty parents over. So because my older sister was a lawyer, my father had one good little Indian girl in the family and he seemed to relax about my career choices. So I went to study what I had always dreamed of since early high school, filmmaking at UTS. And I was surrounded by even cooler white kids. <laughs> These weren't just inner West brand cool arty white kids. These were North Shore private school brand of cool arty white kids. They went to places like Barker and Allo's and my perfectly cultivated taste of Nick Cave and Hal Hartley films didn't impress them at all. They like knew even more obscure bands. So, I gravitated back towards the other Western suburbs public school eth educated ethnic kids. And one of them studying journalism in the year below me was a movie lover from a public high school in Campbelltown who was also bisexual and his mother was Filipino and his father was Scottish. Hello. <laughs> and it was a total game changer from day one. He didn't have to apologize for his crazy Filipino mother and I didn't have to apologize for my crazy Indian father. And so there we were, about two years into our relationship in South America, and we travelled to Brazil. It was 2009, weeks after a mixed-race man with an anthropologist mother and an international economic student from Kenya as a father became the president of the United States of America. Too black, not black enough. And I asked our wonderful hotel worker, a mixed-race black and Arabic woman, originally from Cleveland, Ohio, her thoughts on it, and her bluntness startled me. I think he hates his father. And she launched into a meticulously observed tirade on interracial marriages. She talked about how when people dated interracially, it was almost always along traditional gender lines. White men dated Asian women who were deemed stereotypically feminine and submissive, and white women dated black men who they saw as hypermasculine. You rarely see the reverse. 
She told stories of biracial girls in America who were banned from dating black men as a projection of their mother's failed relationships. We don't have racism in Brazil. Everyone is mixed, people would say to our host, to which she would respond, yeah, ask a cop. And this was the first time I had truly interrogated the inherent chauvinism associated with interracial dating. My parents were not absolved of holding racial stereotypes just because they committed to an interracial marriage. Fucking someone of a different race does not mean you cannot be racist any more than fucking someone of a different sex means you can't be sexist. I do believe my parents love each other, but I also think that my father held sexist views about the availability and sexual openness of white women and that conversely, my mother's final act of rebellion against her white bread upbringing in Adelaide was to marry a brown dude. And I was done being a poster girl for interracial marriage. I began to speak openly about my father's deeply held, culturally rooted misogyny and my mother's shame in speaking out. The response would be, well, what did you expect? And my mother's cultural competence in marrying a man of a different race. I don't really think she was as equipped as she thought she was. So on my wedding day, my mother wore a sari and my father wore a suit. I wore a sari and my husband wore a barong. There was karaoke. And I walked down the aisle to the music from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> it was a perfect celebration of two racially mixed, culturally diverse mega nerds. So I'm 33 now. I've reflected on my Indianness and my whiteness. I feel Indian when I'm dramatic, argumentative, boisterous, loud, proud of my intellectualism, proud of my status as an artist. I feel Australian when I speak back to authority, when I'm irreverent, when I value egalitarianism, when I talk openly about sex, when I'm kind to people working in low-status jobs. I am 100% Indian, and I am 100% Australian. As for my son, his journey will be his own. But for now, when people ask why my son has a name like Finn McGee, but has such brown skin, brown hair, and brown eyes, my response is simply, his mother's father is Indian, his mother's mother is Australian, his father's mother is Filipino. His father's father is Scottish. <laughs> Thank you.